0: Welcome fans of the Justice League universe. This is our special Wonder Woman commentary episode. My name is Sam
1: and I am Alessandro My
2: name is Rebecca Johnson and my name is Sydney
0: And so we're going to be getting Wonder Woman all queued up Um, If you want to watch along with us, you're going to want to pause it right after the WB logo disappears So go ahead and watch the FBI warnings and the stuff at the beginning the WB logo will come up And then right when that WB logo disappears to a black screen, pause it, you'll be at the 17-second mark. If you get there, that's when we will start it together in just a minute. Um, But first, I wanted to ask everybody, what was your initial opinion of the film when you saw it? And then where has your opinion of the film landed now that we're a few months later?
1: Well, uh, walking out of the theater, I thought the movie was amazing. Uh, Not quite as good as Batman the Superman, but... Really solid, well-done movie. Uh, now, I still pretty much feel the same way. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I haven't really seen it much since my original uh, viewing of it. But I've seen scenes here and there. And uh, especially doing our analysis, it seems to really hold up. I'm definitely seeing a lot more now than when I originally watched it. And, you know, I in my initial viewing, I had already seen tons of stuff, so... Yeah, I think it's really good. Cool. Rebecca?
2: Yeah, I had some complicated feelings about this movie when I first saw it because uh, I didn't love it when I walked out of the theater. I liked it. It was fine, but I didn't love it the first time I saw it. And I think part of it was because there were some jokes that were a little uncomfortable for me and... It didn't seem like it had as much depth as I was hoping for, Mm -hmm. but it took me a couple of viewings. So about the third viewing, I I finally got to the point where I was able to enjoy myself a little more. I think the first time I was hung up on it getting, you know, Rotten Tomatoes had this huge score for it uh, and a high score. And so I had gotten so hung up on, on that when I went into the theater that I... I, it took me three viewings to really just enjoy it for what it was and, and kind of enjoy the film. And I've noticed that in going through the analysis for JLU podcast that I have a much, <laughs> a much deeper appreciation for the film than I, I did after that first viewing. So um, I think that's really enriched my love for this movie.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's part of why I love doing the analysis is you just see things. You see things that maybe you noticed initially, but you just kind of get a full appreciation of them. Or through the analysis, you notice new things that you even missed when you saw it first couple times. Uh, Sydney, what was your initial impression like?
3: I think uh, my opinion of the movie is the same now as it was then. But like Rebecca says, I I sort of have a better appreciation for it. I didn't let the Rotten Tomatoes score uh, affect my opinion. I think after... You know, the whole experience with Batman v Superman, I was just so beyond that. But <laughs> I was in i was in a, a great theater. I remember these three teenage girls in front of me who were just clasping hands and screaming and getting so excited about everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um my view was, I don't think it's quite as complex as Batman v Superman, but I, I don't really expect most movies to be as complex as Batman v Superman, and right. <laughs> I think... um anything that I thought was frivolous in this film looking at it a second time I realized oh there is a meaning to this Patty was trying to tell us something so
0: yeah for me I can't really judge movies against Batman v Superman because that one for me is like way <laughs> up pretty high um, I realize it's not fair and I have to remind myself that when I watch other movies now
4: yes but it's so hard.
0: Uh, yeah Wonder Woman when I saw it <laughs> I got to see it early. And uh, when I walked out of it, I just felt pretty good about it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was really solid, like Alex said. And I also had good feelings because I could tell when I saw the movie that the general audience was going to like it. Mm-hmm. And so I could, I kind of like breathed a sigh of relief that, hey, this one's not going to be that controversial. And I think most people are going to like it. And that is basically what's turned out to be the case. So I kind of felt good about that sort of just contextual aspect of it. As I saw it more times... I got a little bit more appreciation of it, but like you, my opinion didn't change a ton. I basically just saw a little bit more of the nuance. I connected a few more of the dots, but how I'm seeing the movie now after several viewings is fairly similar to how I saw it the first time, and I think that's part of why it appeals to general audiences, because when you watch it once, I think most people pick up the general flow and the themes and stuff, so that's one of its strengths is that it's a little bit easier to grasp the big ideas that are going on but let's actually get into the movie so hopefully you have it queued up right after the wb disappears at the 17 second mark so let's all start it together we're going to do one two three then hit play so let's do that now one two three play Go. so we've got the black screen and the rat pack logo coming on up um, so one, one disappointment I had in the movie, it's very minor, but I was disappointed that it was like a very standard WB logo that was just before this. Um, I like the WB logos when they're like integrated into the world, but this, uh, animated stuff is awesome.
3: I love the DC logo.
2: Were you all surprised to, to see this new animated, um, character logo that popped up? Cause I was, I, I didn't expect yes. that.
0: I was totally surprised. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea that was coming. It was awesome.
3: Yeah, everyone was talking about green
0: lantern. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's hoping for some green lantern. So, so the earth. So this approach shot is pretty cool. Just um she's talking about this world and this place and then I like the idea of just getting closer and closer to her. It's a nice I think opening to the movie.
1: Yeah, sort of like a, a god's eye view approach. Oh, and it makes sense because, you know, and then we see a demigod right there.
0: Yeah. And here we have, you know, the connection. So this is after BVS and she's an antiques dealer. And a lot of people like in BVS, they just thought that she like was walking around museums, but they didn't realize in BVS that she's an antiques dealer. Like she works as her profession with that kind of stuff. So now hopefully people are getting it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I
3: like that they set that up in BVS. That's a really excellent job for her to have considering her history. Did she ever do that in the comics? I know she was an army nurse in um, Golden Age comics, but what's her normal profession these days?
0: I don't remember her having this job, although I haven't read like all the Wonder Woman comics. But I do like this choice, like you said, because it it just like look at these artifacts that are around her and all this stuff behind her. And it gives us the sense that she's sort of out of time or like she's for all time, which is fitting.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she's surrounded by swords and shields and and things that Wonder Woman would be into.
0: Yeah. So this photo is awesome. Um, I mean, so I love things that connect to BVS because I have such positive feelings about that movie. But this is cool. (laughs) And the relationship (laughs) is still developing between her and Bruce, which I think will be a really big aspect of Justice League. Yeah, the two of
3: them are going to be the leaders bringing everyone together.
1: I found it interesting that the photo seemed to be in the glass and not on paper.
3: It's an original print. I mean, I don't know much about those, those old cameras, but I don't think it would be normal film.
0: So this little act, little girl actress won a lot of people's hearts, I think. Just everybody seemed to think she's really cute. She did a good job. She's very memorable in her performance.
3: <laughs> she was cute. <laughs>
0: Even just the way she was running seems very likable. <laughs> like, this is cool.
3: Yeah. Now, this I loved. Seeing the, the Amazons train, I mean, it, like when the woman leans down and grabs the shield, when they do a flip in midair and, and throw the sword, it's it, not only does it just look cool, it, it feels very unique. It's not something that I just see in every single action movie.
2: Yeah, they definitely have a different fighting style. And what I'm really impressed with with these shots of the amazon's training is that a lot of it is green screen i mean a lot of it's cgi and not real but it looks pretty good i mean it looks uh fairly realistic yeah, yeah
0: yeah and i think they did a good job with the like kind of the city part where they did go on location but they enhanced it with green screen like they extended the set a bit with green screen and it's integrated really well i think
2: <laughs> yeah, some of the location shots would be beautiful anyway, but they amplified it.
0: I also like this training scene because it sets up the beach battle later. So, like, you know, we see them training, but we know as movie watchers that, oh, they're going to definitely have a battle scene in a few, you know, in within a few minutes.
3: Exactly. I still haven't watched all the bonus features for that, but uh, a lot of the green screen, I think, was was doing it in layers so they're only filming a, a few women at a time
0: yeah they definitely did that i read about that in the art and making of the film book too it's pretty cool i actually haven't watched all the bonus features yet i i've been busy but i need to do that yeah there's the pretty goes way back like it has a lot of depth to it in just depth of field behind them
1: yeah just beautiful backgrounds
2: Well, Themyscira should look beautiful. It's a it's a it's an island of paradise. It should it should look like paradise and I think they did a good job of and it not only making it feel like it's paradise, but it it feels real, it feels lived in, feels ancient. Um, so I think they really captured the essence of Themyscira.
3: Yeah, there's so much greenery over everything.
0: And that makes me think about connecting it to Man of Steel. So, like, Man of Steel opens up with several minutes, you know, 15, 20 minutes of Krypton. And this movie has basically, at the beginning, you know, 15, 20 minutes of Themyscira, or half an hour.
4: True, And
0: to me, the contrast is pretty strong, right? Krypton, it's this world. There's men that are kind of at the head of it, as we see. And uh, it's crumbling, literally. And this one is women, and it's beautiful. It's like a paradise.
3: Well, yeah, the, I mean, all the, the the green and trees mixed in with the, the buildings. I mean, not only does it make it look ancient and lived in, but that shows that the Amazons are at peace with their environment. Mm.
0: I like how the warm fire colors co- uh, tie into the picture when she opens it. It also has the warm kind of light fire colors on the side, the oranges and kind of yellows.
1: It's funny how Hippolytus' war is not something to look for uh, or forward to. I forget the exact wording, but it's kind of... Emmett em- uh, reflects her feeling about how Diana wants to go after Ares. And it's it's like, you shouldn't want to go face Ares.
3: We know her mom doesn't want her to go. I mean, that, <laughs> right. that's why all this, all this secrecy. She's trying to make sure she that going after Ares is the last thing she wants to do but you, know, you you can't parents only have so much control over their children
0: so you just made me think of a whole new kind of interpretation of this bedtime story then so so Hippolyta is basically reading the story to try to scare Diana away from this stuff mm-hmm. but when you look at mm-hmm. when you look at little Diana's face she's like intrigued and drawn into it so it has like the reverse effect exactly yeah
2: <laughs> well at that at, at one point when she sees Aries, she does kind of uh lean back cuz it kind of freaks her out but yeah i think it intrigues her to learn about the uh the world of
3: man well she's drawn by the the adventure of it she she hasn't experienced war firsthand so you know she doesn't have any of the the negative associations she just thinks it's it's an adventure it's a you know a sacred duty well
2: yeah she's a little girl who wants to be an amazon well she
1: sees everyone training and it's sort of like you know, it's they glorify it by by making their training like an actual part of their everyday lives. So it's mm-hmm. almost like you know she's being bred to sort of want that because she wants to be like everyone else.
3: Mm. Yeah, and her mom's trying to keep her from that.
0: Now, this was at my second or third viewing when I actually caught the fact that Zeus dies. Uh, like the first time I watched it. I thought that the other gods died, but then Zeus and Ares were left. But then my second or third viewing, I noticed like, oh, wait, it was actually with Zeus's like dying breath that he struck him down or made. Yeah, right here. Zeus did this, but it's like on his way to dying. So that was like, you have to listen pretty closely.
3: That happened to me too.
2: Yeah.
0: There it is with his dying breath. That's like, I missed that the first time I watched it.
3: Yeah. So do we think that the rest of the gods are still alive?
0: they could come back if they if the writers wanted them to come back they could find a way to have some of them come back i think
3: yeah
1: (laughs) well yeah i mean arguably if they are gods then they shouldn't be able to die but then we get into the the whole question of well are they real gods in this universe or do they just seem like gods because are we to believe that zeus actually created man
3: Oh, yeah, that's actually something I wonder about. <laughs> I like the idea of
2: the the, the Greek gods having died and, and the like the Justice League become the new gods or that you know, you have eventually, I guess apocalypse and, and the new gods and that stuff. But um, in the painting that we see with the story time, it sort of looks like with all the gods that are in the book, it sort of looks like the Justice League a little bit because I think you have like Pose- Poseidon up there mm-hmm. who sort of looks like Aquaman. So I kind of like the idea of the Justice League being, you know, quote, the new gods. I like that, that too. come in place of them.
0: Yeah, that's nice.
3: Yeah, I believe that's the the um, association they're trying to build in our minds. Mm. It's a pity the sword isn't actually the god killer. It's very beautiful. <laughs> yeah,
0: and Hippolyta is really like walking a fine line here again because like she she's saying like I hope this never has to be used, and yet they put it in this you know beautiful like display and like they're glorifying the objects of war. But then Hippolyta is also trying to say like I don't really want war, but it's kind of mixed messages for a little girl.
3: Well, it's like um, Antiope's going to say soon here. It's basically like denying Diana, her true self or true nature.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Now there's nothing Hippolyta can do to stop her from wanting to be a hero, from wanting to become a warrior. Mm-hmm. And especially like you said, when she's surrounded by warrior women and the sword and, and um, you know, all these stories that her mother's told her.
0: Yeah. And so this tension of parenting, I think might be part of why this movie resonated with so many people, because as a mother, Hippolyta wants to protect her daughter so much But then, like you said, that's kind of getting in the way of Diana's true potential. And I think that's like a tension that a lot of parents have, right? Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. your child has this potential or destiny or whatever you might want to call it. um, But then that involves risks or it involves letting them go. And that's like the tension of a parent. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: I didn't notice that Antiope has a scar on her arm. That's a nice little addition to the character. Mm hmm.
2: So the Amazons can be injured, but uh, they're they're mortal. but they can be injured.
4: Yeah. Right, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and they can be killed, as we see later on with Antiope as well.
3: Mm-hmm. Actually, I love how this, um, you know, Hippolyta being protective of Diana. I, this is a theme we've already seen in um, Man of Steel, right? Um, with Clark's parents, you know, that... They want him to reach his full potential, but they're not really sure how that will happen. And, you know, they're concerned about his well-being. It's a theme that I can see carrying forward into the future as well with, um, you know, like maybe Barry and his father and, and Victor and his father. It's just yet another thing that seems to connect all these characters.
1: But it seems that Hippolyta doesn't want Diana to reach her full potential because at that point, Ares would be able to find her more easily. No,
3: true. I but I'm I'm saying, you know, she she's concerned for her. Um but I mean, she's letting her train now. But um I, I was just saying that the the relationships between these characters and their parents seems to be very important.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: And I really like it about the DCEU overall that when these heroes are stepping into their role as heroes, like especially Superman and Wonder Woman, the DCEU lets us see loved ones who have to watch their loved one you know go into danger and become a hero so Mm -hmm. it's jonathan kent martha kent and then it's lois lane they have this close you know relationship and love for clark and then they have to see him go into harm's way and eventually you know sacrifice himself and here it's apollota like she's watching her daughter become so amazing like this (laughs) And so Hippolyta knows that, wow, that's going to eventually lead to something dangerous. And to me, it's great for the universe to not just see the hero, but to actually see the people that love the hero. And then you can have all this depth of the relationships.
1: Mm-hmm. And this scene sort of mimics when uh, she was younger and uh, Antiope told her that she doubted her. So that's sort of just what happened here.
0: Yep. So Diana learned that lesson about believing in herself, but now she learned a new lesson of don't let your guard down. Boom. There's the bracelet blast, bracelet blast. big moment. <laughs> 14 minutes in is the bracelet blast.
3: I love that move so much. It's it, it's a it's pretty unique to the the film version so far. Um but I think it was a a good call cuz it's um another thing to separate her from you know, say Superman, who she shares a lot of, in common with, powers-wise, um, in the comics.
2: Yeah, I really like it, because it gives those gauntlets uh, a purpose. It's not just she has bracelets on. The gauntlets actually do something, and it gives her another uh, ability to go along with her other powers.
3: Right. Oh, but I don't, um, and this is mostly maybe just a theory of mine, I don't think it's entirely the gauntlets. I... I have a theory maybe not well developed that um like her her swords and shields that she uses, um, both in this and in Batman v Superman, I think a lot of their durability and power comes from her. Hmm. Hmm. Um I mean the powers are hers. You know, she's using a new sword against Doomsday than the one that's destroyed here, so I think it's not the weapons themselves.
1: Usually it seems like the actual items themselves are magical, but it's possible that only you know, a god can wield them. So, so, right. Yeah, only Diana can use them that way. They wouldn't (laughs) necessarily work for them. But because she's part god, she can tap into that Mm -hmm. power, that magic. Mm
3: -hmm. Right, right. Beautiful
0: dive. So I just want to mark that Diana looked up um, like she does. That was the first time she looks up toward the sky and then that dive was just amazing. I can't like they used a digital double to do that, but it just turned out so well. It's awesome. Steve Trevor. I think this is a cool like new interpretation to bring Steve Trevor in. I liked it.
3: It's such a beautiful way of showing
2: it. And there's
1: her silhouette that comes through. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, all these underwater shots are so good looking. Like, they're so great.
0: I like there with the bubbles giving the real sense that they are going down and down.
1: It's unlikely that another Amazon would have fished him out. So he was lucky that she found him.
3: Yeah, that's true. Like they just let him die. <laughs> they, they might have.
0: Probably. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> this is just a cool visual like, you know, visual storytelling here and very memorable for the pulling out, you know, from the island.
1: And then it's a big contrast visually the misty darkness versus the clear daylight.
3: And that's going to continue throughout the film, you know, like when they reach London and Diana says, it's hideous.
1: So now he sees through the, the, uh, the mirage, <laughs> and then as soon as he crosses the barrier, everything becomes clearer. So he can still see into that island, you know, paradise. So it's sort of just sort of like, um, you know, camouflaging the island, not necessarily making it completely invisible.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, that's how I took it too.
3: But the timing is such that I kind of feel like um maybe the they're only able to get to the island because I guess like the barrier was broken. Um, that kind of seems to be the the theory that you know Diana's awakening allowed this to happen.
1: Well, keep in mind that now, you know, once Unless I'm the perfect. 20th century came around, technology grew exponentially, and then they had, you know, motorboats. So it was easier to navigate the world. So prior to then, it was unlikely that anyone would discover the island.
3: So you think that maybe the island's discovery was inevitable?
1: I mean, I, I tend to think... I, it could be either, either explanation, but it—I it, tend to think that it just mm. was never discovered. Not necessarily that her power being unleashed, you know, sort of broke the barrier.
3: Mm. They could go either way. I mean, it's a magic island. I don't know if it would—you'd be able to see it on you know GPS in the twenty-first century or not. But
1: it's—it's <laughs> it's one of those questions that doesn't really need to be answered.
3: Yeah.
0: So I love the kinetic energy here to start off this action scene. So the yelling and then the arrows flying and then Diane and Steve running. And it it just like visually it picks up the energy uh, and gets us ready for this action scene. And then speaking of the Amazons having like a really unique style and movement and fighting. I mean, this is I'd never seen anything like this before. It's awesome.
3: Yeah, they're not just great warriors. They're some of the greatest warriors who ever lived. And this really proves that.
2: And I like that it's an army of men versus an army of women. I like yes. I like that contrast as well.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and the weapons are very different.
3: Also, swords and bow and arrows versus guns, and they still win. <laughs> I mean, they take some losses, but I always think that's incredible and just shows how how powerful and well-trained they are. Yeah. And it looks completely plausible the way they do it, too.
0: Yep. mm <laughs> It's also great that Antiope's right up front too,
1: yeah, and they ride in without any fear,, mm-hmm. which I think also is in part that they are not familiar with their weapons of man,
3: what was it uh Artemis there? she kicks up sand in their face, so their weapons are useless anyway, so they can't see it's really smart, mm-hmm, oh, I love that that dive from Robin Wright, <laughs>
0: yeah, she's. Robin Wright just to me was just about perfect in this movie. I don't have any complaints about her or no critiques.
3: I love um uh, what was it um on Twitter, uh, uh, Twitter user Joy, uh, you know she was talking about she talks a lot about Robin Wright's um I guess wrinkles like her neck veins, but it's it's incredible because yeah she's she's an older woman. Um, I don't think they did anything to go out of their way to make her more beautiful she's just this you know fierce older lady and i feel like that's something you don't see in movies very often
0: mm-hmm. and yeah
3: you know they focus on their strength more than than their looks
0: yeah and then they and her fluidity of motion right like look how like that launch is great and then the the posture she has going it's awesome
1: <laughs> great shot
0: I also just like I like movies where you know instead of just having a generic action scene you have these memorable moments where everybody who saw this movie remembers Antiope flying over like that or you know remembers mm-hmm. the Amazon swinging down I like I just really appreciate movies where it's like yeah that was such a memorable way to do the scene it wasn't just a pedestrian way of doing the scene
3: Indeed. I think uh, Diana's uh, the uh, tiara mm-hmm. I didn't know that it was Antiope's before seeing this movie and when hippolyta says that when um she gives it to her that just broke my heart. I thought that that was incredible and it it sealed Antiope's sacrifice in my mind.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I thought that was a really nice connection between the characters and it it pays off really well later. Yeah,
2: every part of uh Wonder Woman's costume has has a purpose to it. Like I'm even noticing I saw this movie six times in the theater and I'm just now realizing that the Amazons, when they're battling, they have gauntlets, like each of them have gauntlets on. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's just part of their attire.
4: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, This was in our analysis, but I still think it's pretty cool with the outfit that Diana has on right now. It spirals around her, just like the God killer sword. Like, the apparatus that's holding the godkiller sword spirals around, so it's like a little bit of a visual, like, hint that Diana's actually the godkiller.
2: And, like, the spirals here.
0: Another good set on Themyscira. I think it was great how they executed the lasso, like the look of it is really good. I like the way that they like visualize the powers. I just thought it was really well done.
3: I love Prime's performance here too.
0: I mean, I'm basically watching this again now, realizing that the the lasso's powers are basically just entirely Chris Pine's acting. They basically just told him, your performance is going to have to convey the powers of this lasso. And then the glowing.
1: See, now that's interesting. The lasso is a magical item, and yet uh, one of the other Amazons is using it, not Diana.
3: Oh, no, I thought... I think the, the lasso has inherent power of its own. This isn't like um, like her gauntlets and the shield and such. Uh, I think it works for anybody.
2: Yeah, I think the basic thing about the lasso is that someone has to be holding it. And, and I guess uh, it, it could be anybody holding it, but as long as somebody is in control, they can use it.
0: Here we get dirty, dingy, I just noticed all the smoke coming out of this factory so again it's... they're already setting up the contrasts here. Like this look looks so dirt... much dirtier than anything on mascara. So Dr. Poison, how do people... so here's a nice straight on look, introduction to her. I thought that was a good choice for a villain for this movie, or one of the villains. Um, it is from Wonder Woman's, you know, Rogues Gallery. Oh,
3: I thought it was a perfect choice. The second I heard it was going to take place during World War One. Yep, it's
0: <laughs> it's nice when they when it just makes a lot of sense.
3: <laughs> I was envisioning a scene just like this.
0: So, we learn, we get an introduction to Poison and Ludendorff, but really we're learning more about Steve here because we get to watch him make this decision, right? Like camera straight on him. He has to decide as uh, like, uh, I guess I got to do this.
3: <laughs> yeah. He, a lot more reluctant than Diana. He
0: knows he's putting himself into a lot of danger. <laughs> <laughs> Pointing, that's good.
1: Now how does she know it was
0: him that took it? He,
2: he, he looks out of place.
0: <laughs> Maybe he's the only one exiting the room.
3: The only one walking away who isn't working.
0: So here when I was watching this the first time, I expected him to just fly away, but it did give a little bit more action and made this scene more eventful to have him come back and drop the bomb and take out the craft that might have chased him. So it is pretty smart. Sideways shot here.
3: This is um, provides some good symmetry with uh, the end of the film, too, where uh, um, him and, uh, or no, not, not Steve, but when uh, Chief and Samir and Charlie blow up the munitions warehouse,
2: I think it's also pretty good symmetry of Steve blowing up the plane that he's in when he when he takes all that stuff up into the air.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I think the movie does a good job at showcasing the technology of their era, era, and and the uh, war tactics. I mean, seeing him drop a bomb like that—you mm-hmm. know—today everything's with buttons.
0: So here is, you know, another good connection between Diana and Steve and they they directed it well and edited it, cutting right from Steve's face to Diana's face. And they're both very concerned and emotional about the pain and suffering. So you can tell that they are they already have a basis to connect with each other, that they both care about the, you know, what's happening in the world, even though Diana hasn't met any of them or know about it. But she Diana just cares immediately about it.
4: Mm.
1: Now, Sam, I noticed that he hesitates before he says, ever imagine. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's, uh, you know, the lasso's fighting with him saying, you know, you're not telling the truth.
0: (laughs) That'd be nice. I'll, I'll choose to interpret it that way. That's good. (laughs) So here's the showdown daughter and mother who've, they've, you know, they've mostly had tension in this movie. Um. I know some people kind of complained about that a little bit. Like they wish that Hippolyta had had something else besides the protectiveness and besides the, you know, this kind of tension between her and Diana. But I think it it works for this story. Um, If it had been a full Themyscirian story, then Hippolyta would have got more to do and more development. But for the story that they were telling, this is basically just what they needed Hippolyta to contribute.
3: I think the scenes from um, when Diana was a child, and, you know, she read to her and, and was showing her all those old treasures. I, I think that and their final goodbye, it, it's enough for me to know that, you know, theirs was a very loving mother-daughter relationship. Um, but you're right. I mean, the the story requires Hippolyta to to be very overly concerned for her well-being.
0: Yeah, I think you're right about those moments. Um I do wonder, though, about like later in the movie, if Diana should have had something thinking back to her mom or having some sort of connection back later on. Because after Diana, like it's sad when she leaves and that's a great scene. But then once Diana leaves, she never really Mm
4: -hmm.
0: like thinks about or has anything explicitly about her mom after that. I don't think.
3: Yeah, that would have been a good opportunity for some symmetry. Um, I mean, I would I would love for them to return to mascara in a future film I don't know how they can make that happen but this entire opening of this movie it, their their culture and their, their island is just so beautiful and I just want to see more of it and I'm sure most of the audience does as well
1: mm-hmm. well fledglings when they fly from the nest never see their mothers again
3: mm-hmm. uh, yeah that's the idea that's sad <laughs> that's sad Here's Steve, the above average man.
0: (laughs) So this scene, the audiences that I watched the movie with seemed to really enjoy the scene more than I did. Like they were big laughs for this part. For me, it's fine, but it's not like my favorite part of the movie. I actually like better the end of the scene rather than the beginning, but the audiences just, this got really good laughs. So it obviously works, but...
2: Yeah, this scene and the the scene on the boat when they're going to London, they had some jokes on the on the first viewing that I was like, this might be a little too much for me, um, so I had to kind of get over that because I, I I I eventually came down on the fact that these jokes were showing the differences between men and women and Diana learning more about those differences and Steve learning more about the Amazon, so. Once I kind of came down on that way of thinking, I was fine with the jokes, but initially, I was sort of taken aback about how sort of raunchy they are. Um, mm-hmm. If I can be a prude about it, they're they're a little raunchy
3: jokes in this movie. Mm-hmm. a bit. But you know what? I actually uh, I sort of assumed they would they would do jokes like this before I even saw the movie, and I was expecting them to dwell on them more and they didn't so i i remember thinking okay good <laughs> they dodged that it was it was just funny enough for me
1: <laughs> i think it they can be viewed as raunchy because of our culture you know other parts of the world you know sex is not such a taboo topic so mm, yeah that's true i mean really when it comes down to it it's a matter of their biology that they're talking about right and, it's 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 in our natures, and so, you know, it, it's considered raunchy just because it, you know it has to do with sex. But really, you know, that's just a result of our of the culture in America. Yeah, probably other parts of the world, people didn't necessarily view it as as raunchy.
0: Yeah, and I know in other countries they censor their movies um, more for violence, and they don't really care that much about sex. Or like when they're giving ratings, you know, like parental ratings they're much more concerned about the violence in the movies and in america we mostly are concerned with the sexual content and we have lots of mm. violence for everybody so it is yeah there's some cultural differences
3: yeah diana's just asking questions that she wants to know the answers to and uh steve is getting off you know <laughs> all awkward for reasons that she doesn't know or understand
0: so they had the uh, the do something instead of doing nothing thing, which we are going to cover, and we already have started covering it in depth in our analysis. So it did go by here, and it's a big part of the movie. Like, you know, upon second viewing, I, I put together a lot of the do something um, thread, and there's where it really kind of kicks off with Steve talking about the do something. And now Diana right here is going to do something. She's decided.
1: In this scene, I would have liked to see, you know, just one shot of her, like peeking from behind the bushes at the the gate leading into that building and seeing guards there because it's sort of like she's sneaking in but they don't really explain that she has to sneak in.
0: Yeah, in the novelization it says that there's permanent guards always posted and there's only one door. So the novel, you know, the novel can just explain that in, you know, a sentence. But yeah, here they didn't make that super clear why she has to come in this way.
2: This makes me want to know what the mascara like. What what it's like at night. What do the Amazons do at nighttime? What's <laughs> what's their nightlife like?
0: <laughs> Could Very be some more raunchy stuff there, Rebecca.
2: <laughs> it, <laughs> it it seems uh it seems it seems so quiet during this scene when it seems like everybody's asleep. So I just kind of wonder, do they?
1: I like how this scene kind of mirrors the uh, the scene in Man of Steel with Superman. When he first takes flight, how, you know, he leaps up and he thinks he's, he's good. And then all of a sudden gravity starts to pull him down and he falls, Mm. but then he, he leaps up again and flies and sort of similar situation here. She makes the leap. She Mm -hmm. smiles. She thinks she she did it. And then she falls and then she finds new strength and and just climbs the wall Mm -hmm. with her strength new
0: capabilities yeah like both of them are getting new capabilities in the scene i really like the moment coming up where right here where they tease the costume but they don't it's not in focus it's not in the center of the screen you know like oh we can kind of tell that's it and you can see the w a little bit but it's it's you know out of focus i thought that was really smart and saves it for the no man's land scene
3: i sort of hope that uh I mean, clearly they were displaying that suit, so it's an important artifact. I'm wondering if we'll uh, see an Amazon wearing it in uh, Justice League. Because <laughs> I believe there's supposed to be a, a prologue. Um, Hippolyta and Antiope are returning, so maybe it'll be one of them.
0: Here's the DCU still having scenes at night, like we've we've been at night for the last couple scenes. How dare they
2: I like that Steve rode a white horse down to the boat. <laughs> that's white horses are usually like you know Disney princes ride uh white horses. Hmm. so I think that's kind of neat for his character
0: so this is a good scene, and Patty Jenkins said she she knew that this had to be emotional and had to really land here, the daughter leaving, you know, and a lot of this story, or at least, especially this first part is a daughter leaving home and setting out on her own. And so this had to have a lot of emotional weight. And I think they pulled it off well and it's acted well. Mm -hmm. I like here, um, Gal Gadot's performance because she's basically, she's kind of like, I need to put on a strong face and stand up to my mom, but I'm a little bit uncomfortable doing it. And I thought that the acting was really like pulled off that nuance of I'm going to say these lines firmly, but I'm actually sort of not sure how it's going to go over.
3: Right. And she's surprised to hear understanding from, uh, from her mother.
1: That's an important line.
2: yeah we talk about legacy a lot on in, in the analysis that we do, and, mm-hmm. and that's this is kind of uh, mapping out the legacy that between Hippolyta and Diana that Diana really looks up to her mother as a hero and and someone who helped other people and so she wants to live up to that legacy and then of course, Hippolyta giving the the tiara to Diana is part of that as well.
0: Yeah, it's it's a literally handing over, but also yeah, when she's saying like you once did and stuff. I like the hands on the face here, and then the hands off the face for this next part. I, that's just really good directing and acting.
3: Music's really beautiful here too. You know I was I was really nervous to hear what new themes they would compose for Diana. but this and the music that plays during the No Man's Land scene are they I don't know they they're so beautiful and and heroic. I love them.
0: So here's a little reminder about the secret.
1: See, so the barrier's still up. She can no longer see Themyscira for where she is, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, not, oh. it's not like the barrier was broken, because it's still there.
0: So do you think when Hippolyta said, you may never return, do you think that means, like, Diana's forbidden from coming back, or do you think it just means you probably won't be able to find it again, because it's still, you know, hidden?
3: I think it's the latter.
1: I mean, I'd like to think it's the second one. Yeah.
3: You may never return
1: right exactly
3: not that not that you can't
2: return mm-hmm.
0: it also could be just that hippolyta thinks diana might die and then if she's dead she's not gonna be able to return so it's like that's true you may not return yep. because you might die out there <laughs> i think the uh chemistry between these two is good though um like here, here is, I remember the first time I was watching this and this scene is when I was like, yeah, they are, they're kind of syncing up as actors. I thought that was good.
1: It's funny how she says she's the man that can. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think half the time, whenever I hear uh, Diana or the Amazons talk about man, it's always, you know, man, capital M. I think they think of it as like, um, mankind. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> I think in some of these, she almost might be teasing him like, cause of course she would know that he's a person and he's a mammal and stuff. So he's going to sleep. So I almost wonder if some of these questions, she's almost just ribbing him.
3: I think Diana's messing with him sometimes. (laughs) 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 Like, some stuff she obviously doesn't know, um, like, for real. But other things, like, does the average man not sleep? (laughs) Like, she says it with a smile. (laughs) Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Well, she doesn't know what marriage is. So, it's possible she really doesn't understand Steve's uh, behavior.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, there's only so much she could know about mankind without without having met one of them
1: right
0: she
2: would she would have she would have just been studying the textbooks, but that that only gets you so far, yeah,
0: yeah, and this is like one of the questions I have, and I'll bring it up in our analysis too if I haven't already, but like when you know a language, to me that means you also have to know some things about mankind and culture and stuff. Like, if you know mm-hmm. the word marriage, I think that also means you have to know some of what it means and stuff. So, I think there's a little bit of, like, inconsistencies of how she can know a language but not know anything about the words that she's saying. And to me, it doesn't quite make sense, but.
3: Oh, yeah. I think I think I know where, where you're coming from. Um, that was one of those details where I thought, oh, man, if I think about it too much. <laughs> um
0: So here Diana thinks she was brought to life by Zeus at this point. And so they're kind of using the New 52 idea, right? Like the New 52 idea, which is that the clay origin, which is the like traditional origin in the comics, was a story told to Diana. And then Diana learns the truth, which is that she's a demigod, like yes. with Zeus as her father. So I, I like that angle. I remember when the New 52 did that, I thought, oh, that's kind of clever. And I I've just... I resonate more with the demigod thing in terms of how it explains the powers and everything. I can get behind it a little bit more easily, even though I know the purists and like the long time Wonder Woman fans are probably very dedicated to the clay origin
3: right i I enjoy both new fifty two was actually my introduction to comics Wonder Woman, um, but I always thought that the demigod origin it, it connected her to. You know her Greek roots in a very strong way, um, and it gave her kind of a, a unique origin. Like she's not just another metahuman; she's an actual demigod.
1: So it's interesting here that uh, Steve is trying to impress Diana by saying that a spy, you know, takes a certain vigor, and then he's more, you know, not an average man. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we see hints of him. Liking her and and wanting to impress her, and also her mentioning that she's read these volumes about sexual pleasure, and so she obviously knows about you know procreation and biology, and so what it it sort of adds context to that previous scene in the cave.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she knows things.
1: <laughs> right. Mm-hmm.
0: So with Ludendorff here, um, I like the actor for Ludendorff and I like Ludendorff overall, but like that scene where he's walking in, um, and shoots the guy to me, it was a little bit, uh, like predictable or a little bit stereotypical about how you like establish a movie villain. Like you have them walk in and do something really cruel. And so then we all know that's a bad guy and stuff. So, you know, mm. it's effective, but it's also to me kind of like predictable, um, like, yeah, not predictable that minion. he's going to shoot that guy, but just predictable in terms of movie making. Like, oh, let's have him do something really obviously bad, and then everybody will know he's the bad guy, you know? I
2: I I can understand that, but I sort of love it because that's the first time we ever really... Well, do we, we see him in the scene with Dr. Poison before in the Ottoman Empire flashback, or is that just Dr. Poison? Yeah,
0: we see him, but he's definitely secondary, and Dr. Poison is, like, the emphasis
2: but but the the first big scene with Ludendorff like showing who he is like he he shoots a guy point blank I don't know i I guess I'm a sucker for villains like that that
3: you really get to see like what he's capable of
2: oh
0: yeah, I mean it's it's very, very effective, but
3: they really want to emphasize you know his evilness too because you know that and then this scene here, you know they're setting him up as like the big bad, so I, I think they Want the audience to feel that he could be Ares in the same way that Diana comes to believe that he is. Right. It's a misdirect.
1: <laughs> so the wind just kind of blew the papers towards her, mm-hmm. and she grabbed that page that, that came to her, mm-hmm. and we're eventually supposed to believe that that's a Aries work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, most likely. Yep.
3: That's
2: how
0: it's I
3: tricky though. It. Yeah, uh, upon rewatching, watching I try to look out for those little moments. Like, he basically just returned her own notes to her, maybe just something that she'd forgotten or overlooked.
0: Mm-hmm. Or it was like the one thing that she needed to see right then, and then she'd put it together. Exactly. Um, this is pretty intense, you know, look at London with the total smog and smoke and all this stuff. It's like, look at that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Man. That's why it's good to have air quality measures in place.
3: Yeah. I wonder if it's kind of like the 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 opening shot of the movie, the, showing the globe, but it's kind of like a fantasy version of it. I mean, I, I look at this and I'm thinking, oh, man, did it really look that bad back then? Or is this just, you know, an artistic rendering?
0: <laughs> I think it was pretty bad. Um, yeah. yeah.
3: Probably a bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> i'm ready to go
0: <laughs> so now we're we're solidly into the fun and games part of the uh movie formula um where it's like <laughs> the the promise of the premise so like the premise was wonder woman's gonna be you know thrust into man's world and is gonna you know not be sure how things are working and stuff and so this is very clearly that kind of thing like she's going through the streets she doesn't know how to dress or you know Cover herself up like you know, that's this kind of thing. She doesn't know how war works, and we're just getting the definitely the just seeing how the premise plays out.
1: I absolutely love it when her hair is down like this yeah, and flowing.
2: Right. Well, it's interesting because when she leaves the mascara with Steve on the boat, her hair is up, and then now her hair is down, and so that that plays into my theory that. Anytime she's Diana, her hair is up, and then when she's Wonder Woman, essentially her hair is down. And so now that she's gotten the the Wonder Woman costume on and she's away from the mascara, she is she she has the hair down. Okay,
1: oh, sometimes. that's really interesting. Yeah,
2: because even though she even though she had the Wonder Woman costume on in the boat she was still sort of Diana at that point because mm-hmm. she had just said goodbye to her mother and mm-hmm. and where she grew up and now that she's away on her own. That that sort of makes sense. I can
3: justify that in my brain. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's worked so far, yeah.
3: Here it also emphasizes how different she is from everybody else. Etta's so charming, too. I really like her, and I know a lot of people would would love to see more scenes with her. I I can't see how they could have, in um, in this movie. Um, and I don't know if it's possible to see her in a future film, but it it makes me I guess doubly grateful for the the epilogue.
1: Well, they and do set it up. Better. Yeah, they do set it up in a good way for her to be prominent in a future film. Mm-hmm. Depending on what time era they set it in. I think,
3: yeah, it's it's the time skips that concern me because everybody's either going to be really old or dead.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that'd be a good way to use her in the sequel if they skip ahead several decades, have Etta be older, but have Mm -hmm. Diana be the same. And that can be, you know, that can play into the dynamics of their relationship.
3: Oh, that'll be hard to see, too.
0: So this is, uh, speaking of just differences between men and women and stuff, uh, this is just from what I noticed in my theaters, the women in the theaters loved this scene and were just laughing out loud. And for me, I was just like, okay, I see what's happening, but <laughs> it was not laugh out loud funny for me, but I'm not, I'm not really into fashion as much, I guess.
3: You know, I, I, I mean, I, I can understand it. I'm, I'm a bit more like Diana. I like things that are practical, but, um, it's <laughs> totally relatable, <laughs> And I love how they do the glasses here. I mean, she doesn't keep them, but it's a good callback to those Golden Age comics where she actually did wear glasses as a disguise. Mm -hmm.
0: I thought the glasses were gonna hang around longer. Like, she really only has them for a few minutes.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, just just enough to say they did.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and the glasses, having the glasses, is a a nice uh, setup for the alley scene to mimic uh, the original Superman movie
0: hmm Yeah, it's true. Um, I didn't notice until recently that that's the same spy, right? Like, that's the German guy that's going to get thunder. him late.
2: Right. Yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. I just think it's funny with the glasses. Like, she puts them on to make herself less beautiful, I guess. It's like, it didn't help. <laughs> you know, she still <laughs> looks great.
3: Yeah, I love how Etta brings that up. She's like, seriously? <laughs> See, that? that's why Etta was trying to help her get dressed. A man can't help with that. <laughs> I also love here that Edda, um, in just a sec, uh, seems to notice the spy.
1: <laughs> and that guy's still standing out front. Yep, yeah, now he follows spy.
0: him. And it's good on Edda to notice.
3: She's a very good secretary.
0: So um, this is, I'm not sure how now he was walking the other way from them. Like Steve and Diana were walking away and then he was going to follow them.
1: Well, this might've been minutes later though. Not necessarily right after. Yeah.
0: It could be several blocks later and might've crisscrossed or something.
3: Misdirection. Tools of the spy's trade.
0: <laughs> but yeah, this is a good scene. And like you said, it has a nice connection to Superman, the movie, um, which Patty Jenkins, I know uh it was inspired by
1: but why would you go into a back alley where you'd be alone rather than stay in public
0: yeah also here in like in just a few seconds i'm not sure what steve's real plan was when he like tries to headbutt the guy and stuff it's like there's two others or three others right around you what were you going to do after the headbutt
3: improvise I don't know. like
0: look he headbutts him now what's his plan He's got three guys with guns <laughs> on him. So it's just pretty... He's just basically totally lucky that Diana could do that. <laughs> but yeah, it's great.
3: Did... Better go the glasses. I do love seeing them get shot off. <laughs> yeah. It's just a cool little detail.
2: Yeah, this whole scene uh. is a nice callback to some of the early comics where they would talk about bullets and bracelets. And so that, that shows up in those early comics. And you get to see it here.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah, it's really nice. I like the overhead shot that they edited in there and stuff. and Etta.
3: Only the fiercest could wield the, wield the sword. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is a nice re- reminder of where Diana's mindset is right now. Um, and we'll, you know, see that this, you know, simplistic view that Diana has is going to have to get broken apart eventually.
2: And S- Steve doesn't believe in in Aries being real, which I think changes by the end of the film.
0: I like how she just goes in. <laughs> Diana's
1: still being disobedient. so in
3: her mind it doesn't make any sense for her to stand outside (laughs) like this is um this is a major culture shock i mean this time period you know all of them freaking out about oh my god there's a woman in the room here that has got to be so alien
0: (laughs) this is one of the most quotable lines in here. There's a woman in here. Like, I've actually used that line <laughs> a lot. Like I'll be at work or something. And uh, one of my like female coworkers will come in and I'll just say, there's a woman in here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, a little no, bit of guy, a.
1: Isn't the guy that's speaking, isn't that Aries?
3: Yeah. So, right, so,
1: so that was the first time that he actually saw her. I wonder if he actually recognized her. And-
0: I think he did. You know, it's it's not totally obvious, but he kind of pauses and, like, almost loses tr- his train of thought for a second when he sees her. So, I think he notices something is up, and then he immediately comes out here to find her. So, I think he did he did know who it was.
1: Like, we're led to believe that maybe he hesitates because she's a woman, but maybe he hesitates because he recognized right. Diana.
0: Exactly. So, like, on on later viewings, you can kind of tell what was really the dynamic here and why he comes out right now to find her.
3: Well, he definitely knows who she is after she almost (laughs) gives her identity up right here. (laughs) Hey, he looks a little surprised by that. A little bit of analysis from uh, my mama, who I got to see the movie with once. Um, she was actually talking about that uh, she feels like a lot of the sexes that the Diana encounters here, like, isn't awful enough. Like in, in this time period, it wouldn't just be these these um, these men at the debate the there. It would be just ordinary men. She would meet on the street would probably treat her very indifferently or condescendingly. Um my my response to that was I, I feel like if people were too awful to Diana, then she probably would not want to help us at all. <laughs>
2: That's
3: probably true. <laughs> but historically speaking, this is a you know, about as opposite from Themiscura as she could get.
0: hmm Definitely. I like how she still has like a lot of faith in them. Like they must be really smart too, right? Like they knew this. It's like nope, Diana, you're you know way more than they do.
1: I thought it was interesting that Ares in that last scene, one of his last line was, my God. Mm. Mm.
3: <laughs> it's very Maybe He's to... gone native. <laughs> he speaks like us now. <laughs>
0: This guy, the main British guy here, is very hateable. So, like, a good job by the actor for being just totally, like, you want to punch him in the face. He's just so smug.
3: It's the mustache.
0: <laughs> so, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast when we were did, doing, like, our first reaction episode. But, like, this is actually one of my favorite scenes. Because I hate that British guy, and I just love it when Diana like
1: walks right up to him and just
0: gives him an earful.
3: Oh, yeah. Such a feel-good moment.
1: <laughs> so how could they be planning to release the gas at the front when they hadn't perfected it yet?
0: Yeah, so like you mean in the notebook? Like, in the notebook wouldn't be the... So, yeah, I thought about that, too. I think in the notebook, it was... Like, formulas and stuff that were, you could tell what they were trying to achieve, and now Steve is just saying, like, we have to kind of, like, assume that they are going to be able to make this gas.
1: Like, once it's perfected, that's what they want to do.
0: Yeah. It's a little bit of a leap, because, yeah, in that notebook would have not actually been a successful formula, but they wouldn't know that, like, without doing a pretty detailed chemical analysis and stuff.
3: Well, they would have to know that the, the information could possibly be out of date. Like, this is where they were, but, you know, we have no idea how advanced they are now.
0: So, uh, to me, like, scenes like this, I think it wins o- It starts to win over a lot of Wonder Woman fans because of of her having this, you know, purity of purpose. And she can just see the morality of the moment and she calls it out. And to me, it also is like makes her unique amongst the comic book heroes that are kind of in the cinemas now. I can't think of any other hero that has that kind of a moment where they step up and they speak truth to power. But then after this, she's a little still deluded about what she thinks is happening. But her moment in the room was awesome.
2: I like. I like that Diana is so offended by someone lying to her. Yeah, she's all about truth and and the lasso of truth, and lying would be offensive to her.
3: Exactly, and she's such a she's such a kind and compassionate person herself. I think when people behave uh, in an immoral way, she just doesn't get it.
1: You know, it's interesting how the lasso made him say. We're probably going to die. This is a terrible idea. Almost as if it compels them to to also say what they're thinking, not necessarily mm-hmm. just the truth. Mm.
3: Yeah. It's hard to tell what the literal truth is, too. So I, I think it's just whatever's true to you.
0: <laughs> it's a really good foreshadow, though, just in terms of the fact that he is going to die. So it's nice that way.
3: I like the warm lighting in here too. Oh, a, a lot of the way that the this film looks is just so pleasing to the eye. I love this guy. the the entire crew. I mean, ever since Batman v Superman, when I saw the photo, I was really looking forward to meeting all of them. Um, and when we finally did, <laughs> they're they're all so charming. And this guy in particular, he's so funny
1: He tries to hug Diana, that's
2: great (laughs) He got a little too close (laughs) She didn't care for that
3: Her face too, she's just like, nope (laughs) She's like, I don't know you
0: Yeah, this whole sequence is good
3: charlie intro is great too yeah that's not charlie <laughs>
0: <laughs> the the casting for charlie is really great just he has such a unique face <laughs> like look at his ears like <laughs> that got him the job i think <laughs> it's a good haircut they gave him too it really <laughs> sets off his features
3: even steve's face is like maybe i've made a mistake mm <laughs> <laughs>
0: But it's a it's a very effective introduction to these two. Like, we see Samir trying to, you know, con some people. Then we see him try to sweet-talk Diana. And then we see Charlie doing his thing. So, like, they found a way to introduce us to them in a way that really, like, resonates with their character.
3: Exactly.
1: Interesting that Diana says you fight without honor because he's shooting from afar. But what, what does she think the archers do? Hmm.
3: Although the Amazons are skilled in all areas of combat, so I'm sure someone who can shoot a bow can also stab a man at close range. But, yeah, it's a little hypocritical.
0: It might just be Diana has a little bit of bias against guns. You know, she's only seen guns once, and it was not good. So, you know, she she said it as if it was about being from afar, but she actually might just be a little bit uh, hostile toward him because he uses guns at all.
3: Oh, that's a good way of putting it.
0: I'm not sure how Diana gets to the other side of the table, but it's good. It's impressive.
3: Well, she's fast. I think uh, you can see that even in the the Doomsday fight. You know, I'm sure not as fast as a Flash, not as fast as Superman, but fast. (laughs) Yes. I'm in agreement with Samir.
0: I like the I like the little dynamic between Edda and Sir Patrick. It starts here, and then it continues a bit later too. It's a good it's a good little layer that they added to those uh, Edda as a side character.
3: Yeah, I like that um, you know Sir Patrick in, entrusts her with um, organizing the mission.
0: And this, so now that we know he's Aries, you know, this makes sense that he is actually trying to, the reason he's supporting their team is because he actually wants Diana to go see the front and see how brutal and horrible it is. And he thinks that will actually push Diana towards his side. So like, to me, it totally does make sense that even though he's Aries, he would do this to try to help them out.
3: Yeah, I think he, he wants her to go so she sees it.
2: <laughs> nice nice bit of comedy there uh from Edda.
4: Mhm. Uh, uh, uh.
1: <laughs> I mean, this is just perfect for Aries. He's he's basically got control of both sides.
4: Mhm.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, cuz he's a uh, I mean, he was the one uh pushing for peace. You know, that seems counterintuitive, but he knows that uh you know, Dr. Poison and Ludendorff are, uh, you know, working on their their big weapon, the poison gas. He knows it wouldn't actually end.
0: So do people remember, is this, uh, was this in Justice League War, like the animated movie based on Justice League origin that has the ice cream yeah. bit like this?
3: Yes. The second she picked up the ice cream cone, I was like, oh, they're going to do that part. <laughs>
2: I, I question getting ice cream though during this time of year. Like they're all bundled up in their, co- you uh-huh. know, their cold weather clothing. Mm-hmm. They look like they're freezing, and she buys an ice cream cone.
1: Yeah, I had thought of that.
2: Seems seems strange.
1: <laughs> She's not affected by the cold though.
0: <laughs> but why is the vendor even Possibly. selling it? Like, how much is he selling? You know.
3: <laughs> well, the weather's also always terrible in London. <laughs> Well, it's it's hard to tell. I mean, I wonder how much, how long ice cream has actually been sold at this time. I mean, that's a little historical detail you'd have to look up, but uh, yeah. for all I know, it could be something new.
0: <laughs> so here we're getting a slight bit of slow-mo. and so like Patty Jenkins says, she wanted to use the slow motion when, from Diana's perspective, she was seeing something important or moving, or she was seeing something for the first time. So, that was just a subtle little slow-mo, but I think it's a good use of it, right? Like, so that we as an audience have a chance to see this is impacting Diana. I
3: didn't even think of it as being like, you know, Diana's vision, but that's, that's a, a wonderful way of framing it. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the ice cream is less likely to melt in the wintertime. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: is a good point.
0: All right, another Ludendorff scene. So he's walking straight towards camera. They they frame Ludendorff a lot in, like, center frame. I think that shows power, right?
2: Yeah, very intimidating.
3: Makes him very sinister.
1: So it's interesting how first we saw the one side and their discussion about strategy, and now we're seeing the other side.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And they're planning on giving up,
0: So these people could have survived if they would have agreed with him, right? But since they didn't agree, then he's like, okay, plan B, gas him.
3: They wanted to they wanted to roll over. (laughs) He can't have this. This is like culling the herd, I think.
0: Now, Alex, was it you who didn't really like this laugh, or was it somebody on Twitter that's one of our listeners? when they slam the door and kind of have an evil laugh and they thought it was like a bit over the top.
1: I don't remember if I specifically mentioned that to you, but... Yeah, right here. It does seem awkward.
0: Yeah, it's a a little bit over the top. It is a little over the top. Yeah.
3: It made me laugh, though.
0: (laughs) But you really shouldn't be laughing, right? Like you're supposed to be like, kind of like, you know, putting your hand over your mouth in like shock that they're doing
1: this.
3: Right. It's it's something of a, what is it? I mean, bad guys versus bad guys scenario. I mean, I don't really know.
1: Well, it's also a little confusing why he's taken that powder at that moment once he closes the door.
3: That's actually my question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like Charlie Fan. I feel Finn. like
1: they were just trying to have some sort of visual appeal to the scene.
0: Yeah. I like the fire here and the lighting that the fire gives to this. Uh, it's very warm, it, like coming from that like deep, cold, cavern stone kind of gray colors to now have this warm orange glow from the fire is really nice, I think.
3: Well, here's a question I had about um, Chief, and I was thinking maybe I'd put this question to, to Twitter at some point, but um, he introduces himself as Nappy, And from my understanding is that that's a... uh a Blackfoot uh, deity. Mm -hmm. So is that his real name or was he just making a reference?
0: Yeah, I think it is a deity from that tribe. Um, I I think we have some notes, like, for when we get to this scene in our analysis. We'll try to sort that all out. I don't know the answers yet, but hopefully we can figure them out by the time we get there. I mean, it
3: could be both a mythological name and a real name, sort of like, you know, there's people who might be named Hercules. But it makes sense. I think it's supposed to be a a trickster god of some kind and him being a smuggler it fits.
0: It is interesting that Diana shakes his hand or his arm you know at that moment when he's saying that and she very noticeably did not shake Samir's hand and didn't shake Charlie's hand.
3: (laughs)
1: So it's like chief she
3: Well Samir was going in for a hug.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Diana's sort of learning a little more as we progress that it's not all black and white mm-hmm. because now, for example, chief is saying that Steve's people took from his people. Yeah. And even and, just the fact but she knows that Steve's a good guy. So it's sort of like she, yeah. she's, she's seeing that it's not just black and white.
0: Right. Yeah. Something- yeah.
1: The,
3: the, uh, the entire crew here introduces shades of gray. Yeah. You know, she, she can see how the war has affected Charlie You know, he has PTSD, it gives him nightmares, it causes him to lash out.
0: Yeah, Um, and she knows there were previous wars before this. There's a
3: bit of, like, sort of like an honorable scoundrel in, in Chief and Samir.
0: Yeah. Now, this is the scene that they added in reshoots, which I think was a really good call. Like, I guess it was originally in the script... But then they made it much simpler when they did, like, the principal photography. And then afterward, they realized they wanted to put this back in. So they went and did reshoots. And I think that was a good call. Because I think this really builds up the emotion more to the No Man's Land scene.
3: Yeah, this part is, it's hard. I mean, it's, this is where it becomes just a full-out war movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like, look at that. So now we've seen a few big wide shots of man's world and none of it looks very good. <laughs> the city and now the battlefield and the destruction and, you know, the rub- rubble and everything.
3: It's so weird to hear Patty talk about how she had to really fight from the no man scene to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess maybe from the screenplay, there were some studio execs who didn't get it and she had to you know, explain why. It was so important. And I mean, I don't think if this scene weren't here, this movie wouldn't be half of what it is.
0: Yep, I love this here, how Diana's languages pays off, right? Like she speaks all these languages so she can actually connect with this woman in the woman's own language. That's how important that is. Mm
3: I thought everyone's everyone's voice is—you can tell how much strain they're under, like you know Charlie and, and Chief sort of yelling at them to keep moving. It it, it gives you a feel that yeah they're they're under fire. Just being here in the trench is no guarantee of safety.
1: Really I builds like up there, the tension.
2: I like that there's a scene that says "Do not stand about here," <laughs> right right where those soldiers <laughs> are.
1: Yeah. I Do not that. stand here. I like how Steve says, "No man can cross no man's land," but. She's not a man. Yeah,
3: I was I was so expecting them to do the the Lord of the Rings line there, but they didn't do it, mm-hmm. and that's probably for the I, best. I am no man. <laughs> yeah, like I wouldn't have hated it if they'd done that, but I remember sort of appreciating that she didn't say that because <laughs> I did sort of see it coming from a mile away.
2: She's uh she's taking her hair down so she could be become Wonder Woman.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Tiara goes on. That's great. So the music is good here, and it's
1: funny because it almost looks like when she becomes Wonder Woman, they have like a different makeup for her because her face just kind of glows. Yeah,
3: it's a bit of a heightened reality.
1: And I think a lot of scenes in this movie, she she just looks the part because, and she's got that glow from her pregnancy.
3: <laughs>
1: <Huh>?
3: Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: So I like the music here a lot. Um, the slow-mo again, I think the slow-mo is good for parts of these just to really bring that um, emphasis to it. Makes it more epic, I think.
3: I love how how calm, like when she blocked that last bullet, she almost kind of smiles a little bit. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is my moment.
0: hmm And leading yeah, up...
3: Yeah, she
2: sort of tested it out, and then she was like, I got this. It's fine. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. and it all like a lot of things build up to this moment you know like the tiara going on her like not helping those people on the way and now she's like no i am going to help people this time and then her and steve talked about the do something like we have to do something and so like a lot of the threads that have been laid down in the movie so far they all come together and i think that's part of why it pays off so well but also these are just great shots uh like i love her arm like her off arm is back and like clenched and to me that just brings the intensity to it even more
1: now what if they shot her legs while she was standing
3: she uh oh like when they cause right now she, her body's protected by the shield but you mean like before she crouched down
1: right but when she was standing up <laughs> they could have easily hit her her leg yeah they
0: just I'm missed
3: sure. they could have shot her in the leg
0: it was still pretty far shots for most of her like walk up
3: this is i actually love this part so much when the rest of the soldiers go over because they've been entrenched entrenched there for months right
0: Mm -hmm. oh yeah a long time
3: so but then so all of them just going over at once that that took my breath away when i first saw this
0: so she of my
2: favorite shots in the whole movie is when wonder woman or diana was she takes her shield and smashes that gun whatever that is that weapon yeah the big gun. i, I just uh, think that's so awesome
0: i also yes. love that they have her taking out the weapons of war they almost emphasize that more than her taking out the people and i just like that so that gun is definitely a big one and then later she'll take out the gunship and the tank and stuff or the... yeah
3: and that's a big part of the the final Ares battle too
0: It's a nice little comedic beat, just very subtle, but it's a nice moment to just get a little breath and then go into the next action part.
3: Well, this is is the boys. I mean, Steve already knows how powerful she is, but this is the first time they've seen it.
1: Samir looked at Steve and Steve sort of nodded as if saying, you heard what she said.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And then this entire scene, oh my God. (laughs) Forgive me if I fangirl.
1: <laughs> this was a great scene with her. It's not quite Batman
0: th- Martha Rescue, but it's pretty close.
3: It's up there. I mean, I, I think the more I watch it, the, the more I love it. I feel like the, in my mind, the, the two scenes are about tied right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think like for the character and where she's come from and like her character arc, it's maybe better. Well, it's maybe equal. But in terms of pure action choreography and execution, I think that the Batman one is still a little bit better.
1: See, like that last shot of Diana, she looked totally different. I almost feel like she had to have been pregnant during that shoot. <laughs> There's like it certain makes her more powerful. she just looks like more like Wonder Woman than Gal Gadot. It's just, I don't know <laughs> how to explain it.
3: Last time I watched this movie, I didn't realize that Chief had a bomb attached to a tomahawk.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Blew my mind.
2: Yeah, here's here's her taking out another weapon of war.
3: By flipping it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Flipping and throwing it.
0: So there's a, sure
3: there's three teenage girls in front of me at the theater were screaming this entire time.
0: <laughs> there are a few moments in this that the CGI and stuff is not perfect, like you can kind of tell. But for me, it's still worth it for this movie to save a little bit of money. Like the $149 million budget or whatever, it to me is so mm-hmm. smart because um, it just takes so much pressure off of like huge box office performance. And so if right. there's tiny oh. little moments where the CGI isn't perfect, to me it's worth it if you can just make the financials work so much better and we can just keep getting a lot more comic book movies.
3: Right. Actually, um, thank you for bringing that up. I, I, I was planning on mentioning that at some point because you know I, I've heard people um, criticize the CGI, but when I watch this movie, all I think about is how this movie has a much smaller budget than Batman v Superman did. Mm-hmm. And I'm more just impressed <laughs> that Patty Jenkins was able to do as much as she did with a lower budget.
0: It definitely,
3: it makes me a bit forgiving, and honestly, it just kind of blows me away when i yep when I see some of the CGI scenes.
0: yep, and little tiny moments of the CGI being imperfect, it doesn't really take away from the characters and the themes and the you know the larger things that are happening. So I think it was money well exactly. spent, and yeah, it's smart. <laughs> so here's the payoff. I sort of, of the... assume
3: that the Wonder Woman sequel, they're just gonna throw all kinds of money at it mm-hmm. since this one did so well.
0: great payoff with the um you know i was just about to
1: say that (laughs) yeah
0: and this is kind of the thing where it's like everybody in the audience is going to get that nobody's going to miss the connection where bvs has some like amazing connections but some people will be like oh i never even noticed that that like visual echo from before or that callback from before but this one it's like they just make it much more obvious where everybody's gonna get it everybody can cheer it just like these people in veld you know
2: On my first viewing, I was uncomfortable with the fact that Diana, like, knocks out a church, basically, and, like, destroys the top of a church. Oh. But I, I sort of came down on the fact that a, a, quote, bad guy was in there and had taken it over, and she was reclaiming it, I guess. So I, I felt a little better about
3: that.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, the Yeah. The, the lives of the people are more important than a building. The building can be fixed.
1: Well, she doesn't sure. necessarily know about... Catholic religion per se. That's
2: true. That's true. How would how would she know that? Yeah.
0: So somewhere behind in the background there is like Zack Snyder and Clay Enos, right? This is the scene where they... Uh,
3: I've actually never seen them. I, like, I, has anyone said if like it's possible to see them or if they're just like too far in the background?
0: Yeah, I know they're one of the, or there are two of the soldiers back there, but I'm not sure which ones they are.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Somebody will probably, a listener will help us find them.
3: This line from Samir is always very important.
0: So this is really nice, again, where it's character development for Samir, but it's also a learning opportunity for Diana. So each time she's learning more about the dynamics of this world and some of the unfairness and other things.
3: Right. And Chief there refusing to take money.
1: It lets us see that there's a face behind the soldiers. They're not just, you know... Nameless men going out to fight they they actually have their own identities and lives
4: mhm
0: german I Command is pretty close to the front
3: <laughs> i think uh I mean Europe was only so big um i mean you know we're all, we're all here in America right it's a we don't have that same experience of being so close to the war. I don't think there were very many places you could go where you were far, far away from it.
0: So here's where Diana thinks that she figures it out. And some people were upset that diana like is wrong and they're like your your lead character shouldn't be wrong about something as important as this but for me i think it totally works in the the learning that diana has to have
3: wait was that a real complaint that diana should never be wrong
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting that aries doesn't want them to go to the gala because that would interfere with his plans
3: yeah, he doesn't want them to do anything to. Uh, what was it disrupt the the demonstration?
1: Because if Ludendorff is stopped prematurely, then his plan won't necessarily come to fruition.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: This, this is
1: probably the greatest scene in the movie.
0: It's really good, and it's also just. Oh, very sweet. Like it's well sequenced where after the big action scenes you always have scenes like this where you can connect with the characters and kind of breathe and have some emotion. So it's it's just good sequencing and it fits well with where the story needs to go too.
3: Of course, heartbreaking since we know that all of these people will die.
0: Yeah. Like they're yep. Yeah, everybody you see there is gonna get gassed.
3: I think that ties in with the the time theme, right? Like these are all just fleeting moments. <laughs> could end at any moment you wouldn't you know you can't know what's coming
0: yeah so this is just a nice endearing moment like you know they've they've been through a lot together already like you know they haven't known each other for a long time but they've been through a lot so and now i think this is just a nice you know they have They're feeling good. They have a a night to relax. And I think this totally makes sense in terms of their character development and their relationship development.
3: I think a lot of it. I actually feel like a a lot of them kind of being able to. To, you know, laugh and and joke around like their chemistry has been noticeable since the very beginning. Like they've always seemed like they were very comfortable around each other. So it doesn't. I never really felt that their relationship was was too rushed. I mean, it's a movie; it's two and a half hours. Things are going to happen quick, but I feel like they're they've experienced enough together that it would bring them together romantically, you know, relatively quick.
0: Yeah, I agree.
2: Yeah i, I buy I buy into the romance of this mostly because of the lighting and the environment. Like they're in this. Cute little town where these couples are dancing. They're being serenaded. All of the mm-hmm. the lights from the, the restaurant, the cafe, are are really pretty. Even the cathedral or the church has candles lit and the, and snow, the snow falling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all very romantic. So I, I can totally buy the fact that they would have this connection in this scene.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. This is the sort of place where people fall in love. It's interesting that Diana says, you're awfully close. Where on the boat, she had no problem with him being close. <laughs> so obviously now their their relationship has gone further. So she realizes, you know, that they're having a connection. So now.
3: Yeah, it's different now.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, before it was platonic. She's like, why won't you sleep next to me?
0: <laughs> this is some of the most insight we get into Steve here, too. Like, this, where here's, what's the way Steve is talking about this, you know, because a lot of times he has kind of this, you know, like, protective guard up of being the, like, you know, cool spy, you know, like, I'm cool under pressure and stuff, but here he opens up a little bit. And he doesn't, like, he he doesn't just open up and gush out about his true feelings, but he lets a little cracks. He has some cracks open where we can see, like, oh, he's got some loneliness. He's, you know, he's not sure what's going to be out there for him after the war because he's just so wrapped up into everything that's going on now, and he can't even think about what life would be like after this.
3: Right. And he'll never know, so that's the same thing. It's heartbreaking, once again, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's something Diane is thinking about when he dies, that, you know, they, they had peacetime to look forward to, and now he'll never see it. They just have these moments.
0: So he was about to leave, and that look from Diana is, I
1: think, a pretty clear signal.
3: (laughs) It's a very tastefully done love scene.
1: Now, wasn't there a 23 in the helicopter in Suicide Squad, and now there's a 23 on the door Hmm. in this movie? I wonder if there's something to this 23 thing.
3: Wait, what? (laughs) I never knew that.
0: Yeah, and there's 23 at the very end of Suicide Squad too. I think, on like the joker's squad that breaks in or something
3: oh my is there a is there like a production designer who worked on both movies
0: i don't know if there's that much overlap actually with suicide squad i'm not sure so i like how they pull out here to this shot with the snow falling i thought that was really really Mm -hmm. great because that, that snow is magical, and so it's like Steve and Diana are having a magical you know, night together in there. But, but we pulled out before it got distasteful.
3: Oh, I got to say something about that exterior um, shot. Um, what do you call that? The establishing shot? Mm-hmm. It looked like a painting to me. I don't yeah. know, something about the colors. <laughs> that just really struck me this time. The visual look of this movie is, is is very different from man of steel or suicide squad or batman v superman it, it's got its own identity and it looks great mm-hmm.
0: they did a good job with the lighting here too where it actually looks like it's morning like the the angle that the sunlight is coming in and the like quality mm-hmm. of the sunlight a lot of times i notice movies don't pay that much attention to the detail they'll just say in the dialogue that it's morning but it doesn't really look like morning this one actually looks like morning
3: It coming through the trees here.
1: I feel like Diana has never smiled more than that the morning after she <laughs> sleeps with Steve.
3: She has such an infectious smile.
2: The editing was really good in this transition from that last scene to this scene because Charlie's still singing. uh in into this new scene, oh, and yeah. every time I saw it the theater, there would be a chuckle, um, because people thought it was really funny that he was still singing. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I thought that was a nice touch.
0: It's good, and it's a chance we definitely get to know Charlie and Samir a bit more here. And then uh, Chief has a good moment here where he says he does believe her.
1: I like how Charlie and Samir are positioned, sort of like. A little devil, a little angel on Steve's shoulders, (laughs) you know, each having their own contrasting uh, view of it, of uh, Diana.
3: There was a there was an idea I had way back in Batman Superman when we when we first saw that photo. I kind of thought that thematically that that Steve and these men were kind of like a proto Justice League for Diana. It's a, you know, a a group of very unique individuals, um, going on this mission being heroes. Um, I feel like in justice league, it'll be a very, it'll feel like a very similar situation to her.
4: Hmm.
2: Yeah. I wonder if she'll, if she'll reference that. They may not talk about it, but I, I definitely agree with you, Sydney, that I think the, the odd (laughs) fellows are kind of a proto justice league for Diana.
3: Right. Especially because, um, they're original characters, correct? Uh, or well, they, you know, they, they, they're in the comics now, but, um, but I think they're original characters for this movie. And that's, that's why it made me think. I was like, you know, what are they trying to say through them? Well, all of them are here to teach her something about man's world, but, you know, also the way that they're working together, it's like the Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> Only they don't have, you know, cool costumes. Well, they have cool costumes, but not.
0: To me, this last bit was a really good example of how I love humor in these movies, like Chief rolling up in the car and saying there's a field full of them. And then like them looking and Diana is already gone. Like, I love that Mm -hmm. kind of humor. Um, That's probably my favorite type. And it's like a perfect moment to put it in because we're between we're between tension. We're between like dangerous scenes. And so it's a perfect time to have some humor beats.
3: I think I saw a a video essay once that was talking about... um a way of showing humor and one of the ways was things suddenly appearing on screen or some things suddenly disappearing from screen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a little like that.
0: This is a nice way to use Samir's skills too.
3: I really hope we can see, um, I feel like Samir is a character who could show up as a cameo in a future film, like as an actor in an old movie. Mostly, I just I just want him to you know achieve his dreams, but I I feel like that would be a a really cute callback.
2: <laughs> well, once the war is over, he doesn't need to be a soldier anymore,
3: right? So yeah, maybe so he
2: could. Yeah, he could pursue his acting yeah, so what dream. Do do?
4: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a great way to introduce the blue dress. It's like so striking, and she's looking at it, so you just know. You know, you can, like, the audience members can think a couple steps ahead to, like, oh, she's going to use that. <laughs> Dr. Po Oh, I just noticed they have Dr. Poison in the green again. Like, before it was, like, a green lab coat kind of thing. Now it's a green. Different outfit, but still the green for the comics.
3: Yeah, all dressed up. <laughs> So this thing with Steve here, is he a uh, is he uh trying to flirt with her or is he just, you know, trying to give her attention?
1: I got the impression that he was trying to flirt with her for the <laughs> mission, you know, not not right. personally, but yeah. I feel like he was trying to charm her and uh have her open up to him.
0: Yeah, I think it was his tactic yeah. was flirting, yeah.
3: It's a bit of a James Bond moment there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Cause then uh, there's that moment where he, she sees him look at Diana and you get the impression that, okay, you know, she was sort of starting to open up and then to see him look at another woman, you know, Mm -hmm. then it makes her feel like she's being just duped and, and played by a player. (laughs)
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. i always just thought it was funny maybe it's, it's a combination of that and like the accent he's doing <laughs> <laughs> also the mask was a great design choice for yeah. dr poison
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, i looked uh i think somebody posted something about this that those those masks were were real there was a woman who developed them for uh, soldiers who'd been injured. <laughs> but I'd never seen it before, so it seemed like a like a, a fantasy detail for the film that was just really unique. But finding out it has basis in reality was sort of just makes it more cool.
2: Yeah, and it gives it um, the the look of the trope of a villain having a scar, that kind of thing. Mm. So she she has a, a, a more Uh, exaggerated scar with the mask.
0: That's great lighting on the dress uh, with Diana there, too. Oh,
3: man. Blue is (laughs) cover.
0: When we get to our analysis of this scene, I'm going to have to or we'll all have to work together to try to really figure out the I feel like there's something really really special about the sword in the dress like something symbolic and to me it represents something about like a female directed movie and you know the highest grossing one ever and then to have that image of there's this power that's you know hidden or tucked inside of a typical version of like female beauty but it's you know like but it's not weak it's not you know it's not a dainty flower of beauty it literally has a sword that could slash your head off you know in it (laughs) it's i think it 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 probably has something to do with like patty jenkins how she describes it as like diana is beautiful and powerful and you don't have to have one or the other and like to me the dress and the sword like captures it in some in one singular moment
3: exactly yeah it doesn't matter what she's dressed up as; she could always kill you (laughs)
2: I like that line uh, that, that, that the Greeks uh, understood that war is a god. Very much I like playing the way he into delivers it. it, Ares. Yeah.
1: Yeah, she probably is convinced that he's Ares based on the way he talks to her. Mm-hmm. If there was any doubt in her mind.
3: Right. But, and conversely, this is actually the scene where I was almost certain that he wasn't Ares. Like, I... I, I, I I think um you know once she became so certain, I immediately thought, "Hey, he's probably not Aries."
0: <laughs> so this is good. Um, like they, these two characters have just gotten so close, but now there's like you know drama inserted into their relationship where she was so close to her goal, and mm-hmm. he stopped it, stopped her. So like I thought that was a really good way in the story. It made sense to add a little drama to the to their relationship
3: that line she says to steve actually though what i do is not up to you that's i'm pretty sure that's been my favorite line from this movie ever since i heard it in the trailer it's just a it's such a good girl power moment but you know it's also true to true to diana's character (laughs)
2: <laughs> that that dress flying off from the horse that's very well executed mm-hmm. the way it flows
3: I always get nervous about the horse starting to follow her I'm like no go back <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah so this is this is just good filmmaking where it's like you take all of the joy and happiness and all the smiling faces of that last scene. And now you just flip it on its mm-hmm. head to, you know, now that all becomes the same amount of sadness and like tragedy.
3: Mm-hmm. One thing about uh, the the promotion for this movie, you know, when, when you look at them, it looks like almost all of the posters for the film incorporated this uh, kind of misty orange effect that I think is, you know, meant to make you think of the gas.
1: Oh yeah. I know what you mean. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The posters look really pretty with all those colors until you realize, Oh, that's supposed to be mimicking the mustard gas. And it it gets a little Mm -hmm. creepy when you look at it from that point of view. But, Mm -hmm. but I think it's really smart because it plays into the story and, and her character. Mm
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really emphasizes that, you know, this is a war movie. This is Wonder Woman experiencing the horrors of war.
1: Now, all these people in Val that died, it's not just some town of people that died. She actually met these people and, you know, celebrated with them. Yeah. So she got to know them on a more personal level. Mm -hmm. So it's all the more painful for her. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she could have prevented it, of course. but
0: Right. There's the other sideways shot.
1: Or at least in her mind, she could have prevented it. Yep.
3: Right.
2: I've never quite understood. There's one shot in this sequence where it goes, hor- it, uh, it sort of turns sideways. There's that yep. one shot that turns sideways. And I, I've never quite liked that. I don't know why that shot is there like that. Um, yeah. I don't know if I've made a, a note to try to
0: figure that out. In the analysis. but yes. and I,
3: didn't you mention that it looks like a scene from earlier in the movie? Um, yeah. During the... The, uh, the airplane. Where Steve blows up the the factory? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know what that means, but... Right, yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. I so did a similar I noticed shot. the
0: connection, but I haven't figured out why they are connected, and I'm not sure if there is a good reason. This is pretty, yeah,
3: you know, try something. Not everything's going not to work.
0: <laughs> I like to flip off the horse, though, which also connects back to the Amazons flipping off their horses like that. She made her way up there pretty quickly, <laughs> like regular little soldiers don't have much of a chance against her.
3: Mm-hmm. Goes right back into the
0: gun. <laughs> Another weapon of war taken out by Diana.
3: Is pretty. I mean, th- this is pretty short, but it's kind of a cool little fight since it's in such close quarters.
1: So, of course, his strength right now certainly would enforce her idea that he's Ares. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, like to her, this is not a normal person, so it just confirms what she thought, that it's Ares. That's pretty impressive to grab that sword like that.
3: Something I always thought of here was that Ludendorff was an actual person, Mm -hmm. Um, and he definitely didn't die during World War I. So, (laughs) there's um, literally some alternate history going on in the DC universe.
0: (laughs) So, I actually have not thought of this yet. Like, what the heck is Ludendorff thinking right now? Like, he's fighting this woman. Like, what would be going through his mind? Because, yeah, Ludendorff is just a regular guy who has this, you know, gas that makes him stronger. But... Yeah. I never really thought of it from Life his perspective. <laughs> <laughs> like here's this woman who just got jumped up here and now I'm fighting her and she's amazing. He has no idea mm. like where she would have come from or whatever.
3: Well he looks pretty weirded out.
2: <laughs> I love all the lasso work in this scene. Mm-hmm. So cool to see how like powerful she can be with the lasso. Right.
1: Yeah, I think it's awesome that sh- they have her using it as a weapon, not just to get the truth out of people.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't really notice until I think the second time I saw the movie that the way that the lasso behaves is—it's she's not using it like a real lasso. It—it it goes like where she wants it to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it doesn't—it doesn't obey like, physical like laws. Like an
2: extension of her arm.
3: Yeah. So that's kind of neat, because I think from the comics, I always just assumed that it behaved like a real lasso, and I, so I can't tell if this is an original thing to the movie, because they just thought it would be cool, or if that's the most practical way of doing it without it looking forced, but in any case, <laughs> it's awesome.
2: And se- setting this whole sequence at night really makes that lasso pop with the, the, the way it shines and the way it lights up. Mm-hmm.
0: You mean the DCEU might actually have reasons for putting things at night?
2: You know, sometimes filmmakers (laughs) have a reason
0: for setting
2: scenes in the nighttime.
3: No, they're just trying to be edgy. They're just trying to be dark. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's funny how Diana just assumes everybody's (laughs) going to stop what they're doing, even if she had killed Larry's.
0: Yeah, so she's like, she's learned a little bit, like she said to Steve, it's not just the Germans, it's actually both sides that are under Ares' influence, but yeah, she still thinks that Ares is the key and that that will end it, which it actually kind of does later. So she's kind of right on that part, but not at this moment.
3: Well, actually, uh, I let me see, we'll probably talk about this more when we get to this in the analysis, but um, technically speaking, the war ends, I think, after Steve successfully blows up the plane, and they blow up the warehouse here. Mm-hmm. Um, because the the war was going to end. They were, you know, the, there were those peace talks. They were headed towards an armistice. That's true. Um, the thing about Ludendorff was he was trying to keep the war going and he was going to mm-hmm. do that with this incredible new weapon.
0: Mm-hmm. So
3: all of that ends once they destroy the weapon.
0: Yeah, you're right.
3: Um, the Ares fight pretty much just becomes an ideological battle between him and Diana.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true. Yep, everything was already in place to end the war, so they just had to basically Mm -hmm. foil Ludendorff's plot.
3: Yeah. I think I thought that too. I was like, oh wait, it actually was Ares, but then upon rewatching it, I kind of realized oh no, that was actually just, that was something different. The war was going to end anyways. Well, it wasn't going to end anyways. Steve had to die, but...
1: (laughs) You know, I just noticed, um, well, I just thought that that When Bruce was talking to Diana in the cemetery and and he said that men are still good,
4: Mm -hmm.
1: it must have triggered something in her memory, thinking back to this scene, uh, this moment, because Steve mentions how, you know, men aren't always good. Mm -hmm.
3: Well, he says that here and then he sacrifices himself. Which is very similar to what Superman did. So, you know, despite what he says that, you know, there's there's darkness in the world, that people aren't always good. You know, he proves that he is a good man. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. And And I like that the DCEU allows their heroes to sort of question mankind because Superman, even in BBS, is like there's there's no good in this world. So I think that's a Mm -hmm. that's a common element that goes throughout the entire franchise is um, the the belief that that mankind can be good.
0: Mm -hmm. And the DCEU haters, they like stop at that moment when the heroes are at a low point and they forget that Mm -hmm. they forget to like watch the movie to the end of the movie to realize that the hero finds the hope and finds the goodness by the end. Like so by the end, Diana says, like, okay, men are not always good and they are you know part of the problem but they also are good. Like it's both are true that they're bad and they're good. And Superman has a low point in BVS. Um, but then he comes out of it and he, you know, connects with Lois and he, he sees what he has to do and he does save the world. So it's like, to me, it's like, I hate it when the DCEU critics, they point to that low moment of questioning it. And then they just assume like, that's where it ended. It's like, no, that's not where it ended. That was part of a story that was going to a bigger point.
2: Right.
1: here, here. But it's very possible that these events here at the end of this movie and those words that Steve spoke to her, you know, uh, compared to what Bruce was saying to her, sort of, you know, invigored her into joining his, you know, his uh, attempt to assemble the, the team.
0: Yeah, definitely. I like that where she goes for the sword and it's not there. Uh, So the (laughs) reveal of Sir Patrick as Ares, I thought was just visually it was done well. I could see Mm -hmm. it coming that he was going to be Ares, but a lot of the people that I talked to and friends that I saw this with, they did not know it was going to be him. They thought maybe it was going to be Dr. Poison, like that the twist was going to be it was actually the woman is Ares, not the man. Oh,
3: that's an interesting idea. I felt pretty validated because I thought it was gonna be David Thulis too. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I actually didn't think it was gonna be anybody. I thought it was he was just gonna show up.
0: Oh. Uh, yeah. But even like even for me, I, I suspected very heavily that it was him, like through the movie. I'm like, oh, it's probably him because he's pushing for peace, but the twist is gonna be that he's Aries. But even if I saw it coming, I still think that they executed it well. Him in this room and then the camera work and now right here where the camera's gonna pan over and he's gone like it's it's still to me is a really good job and for me it's not all about yeah. like the twist and tricking me it's just about the execution if you execute it well I don't care if I saw it coming you still did a really good job doing it
3: right and they did um, it's not entirely the same but um, another new 52 connection is the way that they first portrayed Ares was not as this giant armored you know clearly Violent being but as just some old guy like he looked like an ordinary person mm-hmm. And his role in the story was different. So, you know, this is still Ares the antagonist um, But I I kind of like that they did the misdirect of him appearing to just be an ordinary man
2: mm-hmm. And he has a limp. He has a cane So he's he's mm-hmm. injured yes. and, we, and we find out why but it's he, he doesn't look all-powerful
3: hmm exactly I did also love this this reveal it's probably something that you could see coming but I, I, I wasn't really thinking about it the first time I saw the movie so when he said you know you're the god killer in my head I just thought oh wow that's awesome I like that twist Mm-hmm.
0: yeah I like the two together also we find out he's really Aries, and then we find out Diana's really the god killer so I like it's like boom boom like you know you thought you knew what it was and now boom boom now you get the real answers to it I like here where we have a lot you know for the odd fellows to do so it's not it's not just Diana here in the climax it's like oh no all the characters we've been following they have their part to play here at the end
3: and this is the uh, the Clark and Zod moment right Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes the temptation
0: yeah mm-hmm Join me, the join me, uh, yeah, temptation. With a vision, paired with a vision, yeah. Yeah, so there, it's the same thing Alex was talking about, uh, Alessandra, before. You know, kind of come by and just subtly give her a little suggestion.
3: I suppose you could argue that... That Ares being alive could potentially perpetuate the war because, you know, he he interferes in small ways like that. But uh, even so, you know, every war that happens after he's destroyed is still going to happen. So it's not like it's not like people didn't still do this to themselves. And...
2: Right? Like World War Two still happened.
3: Yeah. Exactly, so it's you know anyone who says like uh you know i I don't agree with the idea that the 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 movie sort of chickened out and oh yeah, it turns out killing the God of War did end the war um because it it really doesn't once again, the odd fellows are all doing their job, and war still happens after this, so
1: see, I don't think Ares believes what he's telling Diana. I think the irony is that he says he's the god of truth but he's he's being loose with the truth. And he's just saying what he thinks Diana what what will convince Diana to join him?
4: Mhm.
3: Maybe I sort of do believe that you know that he doesn't like mankind. So it could be one of those things where it's it's hard to tell what the lasso considers literal truth. Um so I think I think he does believe what he's saying. Could he? Be, but at the same time, the the lasso could not
2: affect. We don't him the even same know way. if
1: the lasso works on a god.
3: Well, could he be
2: manipulating the lasso because he's the electricity coming off of his hands is kind of going on to the lasso? So I wonder if he's manipulating it and and its abilities to read people and and decipher the truth. I wonder if he's somehow massaging it a little bit.
1: Yeah, that certainly could be the case.
3: Possibly. And that but then it's it's kind of like what Diana says when she says, you know, it's all about what what you believe. Does does she choose to agree with him? Does she choose to believe what he says?
0: I like that
1: flight move that he has up. I was really excited to see this scene in the, in the theaters. I didn't expect so much action in this movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect some like super-powered uh, battle. so I was really happy with, when I saw this.:
3: It's a very effects-filled scene. I, I, you know I saw some people I saw people complaining about you know it being really big and destructive and you know like a typical third act scene. And, you know, maybe some of that is true, but I I actually find myself enjoying it a bit more every time I see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe because it's so familiar to me now.
0: <laughs> yeah. I like it too. And like the the stuff that Ares represents and that he's talking about, to me, it is a logical conclusion to stuff they had set up earlier in the movie. So, even though there's big, you know, concrete things smashing around and explosions and stuff, for me, I'm... I, I can go with that because where the like themes of the story are going are coherent. And for me, that's like the main thing that I want to see out of a movie is I want coherence and it is coherent, Mm -hmm. even though it gets big and bombastic and stuff here at the end. So for me, I, yeah, I'm fine with it. The first time I watched it, I thought the third act was the weakest, but as I've seen it more, I think it all works together pretty well.
3: Well, a lot of it seems to revolve around you know, how you take the, I believe in love bit. Um, but you know, if if you think the line delivery is corny, I guess that's fine. And I can understand that, but I, I believe in the sentiment
4: Mm -hmm.
3: and it's, it's, it kind of turns into, it becomes awkward to talk about because you get into that whole, what is love (laughs) conversation. And, but it's, it's not, you know, it's not super simple. It's not, She's not just talking about her love for Steve here. It's, you know, a more all-encompassing compassion for humanity.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. Like, Steve is a big part of it, but I think the people mm-hmm. who think that it's only for Steve missed the the bigger humanity parts of it. Steve is is central to it, but he's not the only part of it.
3: Right. This is a very Casablanca-like scene. It's not just the, the airplane. I think uh, somebody mentioned that Steve being a, a reluctant hero, mm-hmm. kind of like Rick from Casablanca. Mm-hmm. Well, Casablanca
2: was a heavy influence on Patty Jenkins with this movie. She mm-hmm. she, she yeah. wanted she wanted exactly. it to be Casablanca esque. So I'm I'm glad that you picked that mm-hmm. up. It is very reminiscent of, uh, especially the the ending scene. Mm-hmm.
0: So I like that this big battle is. You know, they were fighting with instruments of war again, like they were throwing bombs at each other, and then she was throwing a missile back at him and stuff.
3: Right, and his arm, his armor is made of yeah, you know, the metal and the munitions around him. Right,
0: so for me, that works really well with the with things they had set up before in the movie, and going yeah. all the way back to Hippolyta saying, you know, about war and stuff.
3: Thematically, it it, it lines up. I like
2: the visual imagery of the fire because it 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 makes Ares more of a. It's, it's him being a god of war, but, you know, there was that whole temptation of Diana, so he, he's very much a, a Satan figure in the movie, and so it's sort of reminiscent of hell and hellfire, and
4: mm-hmm. so
2: I, yeah. I, I really like seeing that, and of course, you only really get to see that pop at night, so it's another <laughs> visu- mm-hmm. visual reason to have a sequence like this set at night, because the fire looks really great in the in the dark.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Patty Jenkins uses yeah. film too and she said with the film you get the darker blacks like right there is a really nice black you get, and Patty says she likes that better on film and then when those explosions happen they come out better yeah.
3: Yeah, it's all about the contrast. I'm actually looking at this it's the color scheme is very it's it's black and orange. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, fire and the lights and the lasso.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um and it, it it kind of is making me think of like what I said earlier about the the gas, you know, that you got that orange mustard gas and even the the lighting for many of the commerce scenes, it's, it's very warm light. It's, it's, I don't know. It's so consistent across the entire movie, even in action scenes here.
0: Yeah. It's really strong color palettes um, through the movie, like the greens and blues and thimiskira and then the oranges and blacks that you're talking about.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's a little bit of blue here, which is almost just because that contrasts with the orange, right?
3: I like how she turns over and uh she sees the odd fellows there. Um oh let me see, I guess there's gonna be a moment later on. Oh no, here it is, you know, where they all believe they're going to die. hmm Yeah. But they're you know, they're they're holding on to each other. And then, you know, witnesses Steve Steve's death right here. It's it's a lot more than Steve, although Steve is obviously the most shocking.
1: Yeah. And this scene gets even more emotional if you actually think back to Hippolyta. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> um The fact that Diana's wrapped up here by Ares is, I think, a connection to the original comics where William Moulton Marston would have her bonded up and wrapped up a lot. Another
3: great performance from Pine here.
0: So I think they do a good job with this scene as well, and they let it... They let it breathe like it could have been over already, like they could have just shown Steve and then he shoots it and it it blows up but they let this linger on him long enough and they they let it really settle in and they they give him this moment to on his face kind of show what he's going through. The close-ups. So there is the acute pain of Steve dying here. And I think that the acute pain is kind of what maybe like washes over here for a few moments. But then I think by the end, she puts it into the bigger context of kind of love overall for mankind.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And that just giving mankind a chance to like, you know, go to their better angels.
1: She kind of does look like the flesh here.
3: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> She's pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a side effect of her strength. Like she can just she can propel herself.
0: And the slides and glides were kind of a signature move for her. Like in that, you know, the fight scene in Veld, she also slides several times. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I like that she has that almost as a kind of calling card.
1: I think his voice is a little different here.
3: Yeah, he's in God mode
0: right
3: now. Right. She's like, nope, I'm still mad at you.
0: She's punching the helmet. Wow. That's got to hurt. Yeah, so this is Ares' big miscalculation, right? He thinks that this (laughs) is going to... Like push Diana over the edge to hatred and stuff and vengeance, and instead it has the opposite effect. Like Diana has compassion, even for Doctor Poison. I
3: think um the the actress here said that her her injury, that her her burn on her face, was a result of her experiments. But I kind of always felt that Diana here was seeing her as you know a victim of of cruelty, or you know that this was you know, something that happened to her.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
3: Like, it, it kind of just make you know, is a reason why maybe she has compassion for her in this moment. Or for her to maybe... Hold on a second. <laughs> I can't. I lost track of my thoughts.
1: <laughs> it could also be see, seeing her being vulnerable and seeing how weak, you know, a man is.
0: So, I really like, right, the way yeah. th- I like the way that they did this, um, you know, going back to the moment with Steve as, you know, because she couldn't hear it before, but now she kind of like is able to call it forward into her mind about what he was saying. Again, this is a thing where it's like they took something that they could have just done very straightforward and they made it more memorable and uh, made it more unique
4: mm-hmm.
0: as a way to get these last words between them. But she's actually like remembering their last words, knowing that it's their last words. If they had just done it straight she wouldn't have known that it was their last words. But now because she, she hears it at this moment, she knows that he's gone.
1: And up until this moment, she might not have realized what it means to, to love someone romantically. She may have loved Steve, but not realized it. And not understood what it really meant. And so now in this scene, she's embracing that love.
3: I think it's well. It's a reminder that you know that they had those moments together, um. You know, at least, and that that was real. Um, and it was good. So yeah, I, I think it's it's another thing that's sort of able to to shock her back into herself again.
0: So here's, like, this is literally the power of love. Diana has tapped into the power of love, and it's stronger than Aries, and so. Yeah, this is the thing where some people might say it's cheesy, but this is where Patty Jenkins, and I agree with Patty Jenkins, like, no, I am going to end the movie by having love be more powerful than war and hatred. And for me, I'm like, yeah, you do that, Patty. Like, go for it.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, Patty said that. I mean, that thing when he was, when Ares was throwing stuff at her and it was disintegrating. Like, that was something that I never quite understood. I kind of thought that, okay, it's it's a bigger version of her, you know, blast effect, I guess, protecting her. Um and, you know, Patty said that that was, like, literal power of love, and and <laughs> I'm still trying to, like, kind of figure out what that means to me. But I always kind of thought that it's more about her motivation. I guess she's decided this is what she stands for. Sure, Aries is right. You know, mankind can be horrible. Um, but, you know, she can choose to fight for us anyways, because, you know, she can be compassionate you can be caring
0: mm-hmm. i like the idea that aries is destroyed by his own violence like his own lightning is what comes back and destroys yeah. him and i think that metaphorically that works well for like you know violence you know you live by the sword die by the sword like it's your violence will actually come back and harm you
1: No. How do do we interpret that as her flying temporarily, or was that just slow motion jumping? Oh,
3: debate for the ages. <laughs> <laughs> I finally come around to yeah, okay, she can fly, but that's a new thing. It's not something she was ever trained to do, and it's not part of her usual fighting style.
0: Yeah,
2: it may have just been hovering. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not so much yeah. flying.
0: Right. We never really Falling see her <laughs> going yes. like banking and, and angling left and right. It's it's usually an up, a straight up and kind of a hover. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean it could have also been as a result of absorbing some of Aries energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: This this scene, or uh, well this this moment in particular in the sequence is also another reason why I think they set the scene the sequence at night is so no, that you can have this dawn scene when the war is over and Ares is defeated and uh, yeah it, it's a lot more peaceful.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. It's the sun coming up. Well, oh, Edda looking very somber. So this now Trafalgar Square it it kind of returns to the real history as we know it where this was like the real celebration after World War 1. There's an American flag, I see, just went by to the left.
3: Oh yeah, America. We came into this war a bit late, but
0: <laughs> we helped out, yeah.
3: We participated.
0: I wish they would have gave, given just a little bit of more screen time to Etta here and just give her a little beat to react to Steve dying. Because earlier she said, like, I thought you were dead. And now he is dead, but they never really give her a moment. But, I mean, you got to you gotta make it Diana, I guess. That's the thing.
3: Yeah, but. yeah it um, after she defeats Ares, it does seem like the film wraps up pretty quick. You know, I, I guess they... They could have aired the other way and and dragged everything out, so um but yeah, i you know, I too would love to see another scene with Edda.
2: I like that Diana's wearing blue and red, you know the mm. the typical Wonder Woman colors, even in her yeah. civilian she garb she's she's wearing them.
3: She did that at the beginning of the movie, too, right? I think she's she's wearing red right now. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. I like when they went into the photo, it was on to Diana, and now when they're coming out of the photo, it's Diana and Steve together, like framed equally. I like that.
2: Yeah, it's definitely framed a little differently. Oh!
0: So now we get the narration. So BVS had Bruce Wayne narrating at the beginning and the end, and you could kind of see... The book ends of his character arc and now here or Diana, similar thing she narrated at the beginning, narrated at the end. Only love can truly save the world. Yep. I think it's, it's nice to have a hero in the universe that really represents love and compassion like that.
3: Well, that's always what Wonder Woman is represented. Mm-hmm. She's always been, um, I mean, if you're if you're doing something wrong, she will beat you down. But she's always been this character who has almost unreal compassion. Like, she has love even for her enemies. Um, and as a hero, it, it kind of means that you can usually be assured that she's in the right or she's trying to do what she believes is right. Um, and what I like about this movie is it, it kind of goes into more detail about how she came to that point. Like, she had a moment where she doubted that. Um, and I think that makes their convictions stronger. Um, like, you know, it's, it's one thing to have superheroes talk about, you know, truth and justice and all of that, but if they, if they question that and then still come through and believe it, that, that kind of strengthens that sentiment to me. It makes it seem less fake and more like something they actually thought about or struggled with. Yeah. Hmm. Here we go—the sort of a mustard gas effect. Yeah,
2: oh, yeah.
1: And I think I think uh, what, one of her last lines in the movie is actually pretty important, and it's it seems kind of subtle in this film, but it's something that has potential in the grander scheme of this extended universe. Is that dark darkness and light are are in everyone, and it's it's a matter of choice. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. Acti- actively have to choose which to follow. So it sort of touches on free will and how, you know, Ares was manipulating people, but ultimately it's, it's man that has perpetuated these wars through the, the century that, you know, she has been in sort of lying low mm-hmm. and, you know, it's,
3: it was their own choices.
1: And it touches on uh you know the metahumans choosing to act and doing something or choosing not to or choosing to do something using their powers for evil for you know darkness. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think I think that's uh that one line sort of touches on something that is much bigger and I think it was very subtle at the end there. mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
3: Yeah, there's a line in the um, Justice League trailer The one that Bruce and Alfred say Where, you know, I don't recognize this world anymore And Bruce says, don't have to recognize it You just have to save it So, yeah It's, it's you know Recognizing that the world isn't perfect But still making a choice Still choosing to do something
4: mm-hmm.
3: Really cool end credits <laughs>
2: if if i was to give a cr- criticism about the movie uh, just on a personal level i was upset with the score I, like uh, some of the music was nice but the uh closing credits there the 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 images and the graphics were put on top of this awesome music i think the track is called uh Action Reaction, I think is the track. Mm -hmm. And it's awesome. It has these great, like, I think it's like low brass, like trombone, tuba sounds. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that would have been a great musical theme for Ares. Mm. But, of course, I have no idea what the intention the composer had for that, but... I was very disappointed that like the in my opinion that the best musical track of the whole movie was during the in credits. Hmm. So that that would be the only thing, but I but I really love the the music there and and the actual visuals that they they had. I I thought that that was a nice way to start the credits.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: I think he did pretty well with uh Diana's stuff and No Man's Land I think is pretty effective, but Like, start to finish, it's not quite, you know, as good as, like, I think the BVS score is really good or Man of Steel is really good. Um, I think he has moments where he pulled it off pretty well, but, uh, yeah, like, start to finish, it wasn't perfect. And you're right, there wasn't really, like, an Aries theme that really stuck out strongly. There's a little bit in there, but it's not as, like, you know, memorable as the Diana theme from BVS.
3: um, I've warmed up to the score. I think the first time i saw the movie yeah maybe i was un- unfavorably comparing it to um the bvs score but uh, i after seeing the movie a few times and and having listened to the soundtrack over and over again i i usually have it in the background while i'm studying um there's the you know the diana themes like a, in no man's land and a few other heroic moments i think is really is really beautiful and i you know i hope we'll hear it in future movies um yeah, I I feel like a, a cooler airy score would have been nice. Um I don't know if action reaction would have fit that scene, but something similarly cool would have been nice to hear.
0: Alright, any final thoughts? Um then we can wrap it up. But any anything else that's on your mind that you want to get in here before we finish?
3: Looking forward to Wonder Woman too.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's an officially late twenty nineteen, right? Mm-hmm. That's cool, and we got Patty Jenkins back, so I think that'll be really exciting.
1: I think uh, the pacing of the movie was really well well done like it was really effective it didn't feel like there were too there were really any lulls or I felt like it sort of hit their points when they needed to mm-hmm. and it moved along at a, at a good pace
3: on the whole, that maybe Superman may take you know, more creative risks with the the characters, but this was just a remarkably well put together film. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, you know, it, it appeals to a lot of different people, but I don't feel like Patty Jenkins compromised on any element of it. I think mm-hmm. it's what she intended for it to be. And I feel like it was a a strong, perfect depiction of Wonder Woman and who she is. So, you know, I'm very, I'm very happy with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: it's a really well-made movie, and I think it did the character and the origin of uh, what she goes through. I, I think it did did the character justice. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I agree. And because this is Wonder Woman's first feature film, I think it's probably better that they played it A little bit straighter, less risky than BVS or others. And yeah, they established the character really well for her first, you know, feature movie where you you made it clear like what she stands for and you really can tell her as a character she has very clear personality traits and core convictions and skills and, you know, powers. So it's just a really good job of in terms of saying like to the broader culture, you know, here is Wonder Woman. If you didn't know her before, here's a really clear introduction of her.
3: Mm -hmm. It's probably a good thing this was her first movie because there was nothing for people to compare it to, really, um, except for the uh, the TV show. Right. Um, but there was no, you know, feature film, and th- that the movies I think are what most people um, are familiar with. So I, you know, I didn't feel like this movie was being unfairly compared to anything else, like mm-hmm. you know, Man of Steel was.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining in this commentary. Thanks the listeners for spending the time with us and we will continue our analysis at the JLU podcast and we have a few weeks more before it becomes Justice League time. And that'll be really fun when we get to look at Justice League and continue looking at Wonder Woman. So uh thanks everybody. And we will see everybody online. Woo.